Let us pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, open our minds and our hearts as we look into your word today that uh, we might more fully understand it. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we start to look at chapter 12 of Romans, we hit the word, therefore. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. I don't know about you, but whenever I read therefore, I always want to know what the therefore is there for. Don't ask me to say that again. Remember in the original Greek manuscripts, there were no chapter and verse designations, nor even the section titles we see in our Bibles. So Paul is going to expand on what he wrote in the previous section that Pastor Dan preached from last week. Last week, uh, Pastor Dan mentioned that Paul described how the members of the Gentile church were not natural parts of God's vine of salvation, but were grafted on because his fellow Jews had rejected and turned away from God's plan of salvation through his son, Christ Jesus. Though we ourselves in our natural state were no better than the Jews who had turned away, God, through the apostles, in particular Paul, offered the good news of the gospel to us. He closes that section by saying in our chapter 11, verses 33 to 36, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, who, or who has been his counselor? This is from Isaiah 40, 13. And then Paul says, Therefore I exhort you, brothers and sisters. Who is he exhorting? He's not talking about his earthly family here. Now may be the time to look at our gospel reading from Matthew 16, verses 13 to 16. Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say? that I am. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. In John 11, 25 to 27, when Jesus came to Martha and Mary to raise their brother Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. She was convinced and trusted that Jesus, standing before her in the flesh, was, her, was the Son of the living God, her Christ, Messiah, Redeemer, sent as promised in the Old Testament to offer reconciliation to God for the world. 
Where do you stand before Jesus? Is he just a good teacher? A good moral person? Maybe crazy with the claims he makes. I mean, son of God, really? Or can you say, along with Peter and Martha, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world to redeem us and forgive our sins of rebellion. Back to Romans. That is who Paul is addressing, his brothers and sisters in Christ, those of us who do believe. Paul is exhorting us, that is, encouraging, urging, pleading with us, so it must be important to hear what he has to say. Listen again. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. Why did Paul specify a live sacrifice here? To remind us of our difference from the Old Testament sacrifices of killed animals. They were dead. They were offered daily for the forgiveness of the sins of those who brought the offerings. That requirement was paid once for all by Christ's death upon the cross. Paul here says we are to offer ourselves, our souls and bodies, alive as a thanksgiving sacrifice, holy that is set apart for the purpose of God daily. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 reminds us of our true reality. Or you do, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor adulterers, adulterers nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Brothers and sisters, those of us who have said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, have been in God's eyes washed of our sins in Christ's blood. In God's eyes, we, despite our continual battle with our sin nature, have been given white robes to replace the dirty rags of all our efforts at self-righteousness. In God's eyes, we have been justified, that is, legally declared righteous, forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. And we have been sanctified from the same root word as holy, that is set apart for God's purpose, his adopted children to do his will. Notice the tense in 1 Corinthians. Were. That's a done deal. It's done once and for all. As far as God, our Father, is concerned, since the time we, we received the seal of the Holy Spirit given to all believers, 
we are washed, we are cleansed of our sins, declared righteous and sanctified, set apart to do his will. In Romans 12.1, Therefore, I exhort you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, alive, holy, and pleasing to God. Paul is encouraging, urging us to make our manner of living such as befits our true reality. If God sees us as washed, then strive to live against our sinful nature. If God has declared us righteous, then live righteous lives. If God has set us apart to serve his will, then live our lives in this world set apart from the customs of this world, doing his purpose for our lives, glorifying him as being acceptable to God. That others may see the difference and come to Christ as Savior and Lord. I will add it that this setting apart does not imply isolating ourselves in enclaves separate from the world, but live, as Jesus says in John 17, as if we are in the world, but not of the world. Remember always that part of God's purpose for us here is to be his ambassadors of the good news, and we can't do that in isolation. Why make our manner of living such as befits our true reality? Let's look at the last part of verse 1 from the Net Bible, which is your reasonable service. The living sacrifice, holy, is our reasonable service. The English Standard Version has, which is your spiritual worship, which captures the mean of service, but ignores Paul's point of reasonable, which is from the Greek word for logic. Considering God's declaration of our eternal conditions before him, washed, justified, and sanctified, then mindfully living, as Paul encouraged us to do, is the only reasonable divine service to offer back to him. The complete Jewish Bible phrases it this way, this will please him, it is the logical temple worship for you. Continuing in verse two, Paul writes, in other words, do not let yourselves be conformed to the standards of this world. He's warning us not to fall back on our old sin nature and follow, as John writes in 1 John 2.16, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. But just as importantly, don't put on an outward appearance of acceptance of the ways of the world to go along, to get along. Stand firm in our faith by in the rest of verse 2, instead, keep letting yourselves be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you will know what God wants and will agree that what he wants is good, satisfying, and able to succeed. Think of a butterfly. 
At one time, it is an ugly caterpillar trapped to plod the leaves and branches around it. But it is transformed into a beautiful creature that is free to fly above the earth. At one time, our sins condemned us to our earthbound bodies. But through a continual renewing, reshaping of our minds, we become heaven-bound. Of course, we cannot do this transformation on our own. Like the butterfly that must go through the intermediate stage of the cocoon, we must spend time until Christ's return, immersed in God's word and in prayer through the Holy Spirit as the agent of change, the counselor, to discover the good, satisfying, perfect will of God for our lives. Remember what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were, were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, that's the caterpillar, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, that's our cocoon, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's our butterfly. Paul warns us in verse 3 not to allow this new position before Christ to go to our heads, but for God's mercy and through nothing we, uh, others, we ourselves did, such were some of you. That's us. He continues in verse 3. <clears throat> but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. <clears throat> faith here is not saving faith, but the truth of God's word that enable us to trust him as revealed by the Holy Spirit. As we mature in our walk with Christ, as we exercise the gifts of the Spirit that are necessary for us to accomplish God's purpose for our lives, the Holy Spirit will reveal more truths that will allow our trust to deepen. Wherever we are with our walk with Christ, we are to reflect and give thanks that without him, we would still be lost to eternity in our old sin nature. In verse 4 to 5, Paul reminds that we do not walk alone in our journey with Jesus. <clears throat> we come to Christ individually as God calls us, but then we are adopted into God's family as sons and daughters in Christ to work together for God's glory. Verse 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many parts, and the parts do not ha all have the same function, so we, through though many, are one body in Christ, and individually parts of one another. The Net Bible has who belong to one another. Think of someone you know at St. Tim's. How does it make you feel to know that you belong to them and they belong to you? What about the new believer in Iran 
who has just been arrested because his family betrayed him to the authorities as he was sharing the good news with them. He belongs to you and you to him. How does that affect your walk with Jesus? To know that one of your brothers rests in some of the worst prisons in the world. There is good news, though, as verses 6 to 8 reveal. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Grace and gifts have the same root word, so perhaps it should read, having grace gifts that differ according to the grace given. To me, it seems amazing that in God's provision through the Holy Spirit, he provides the means to the different parts, members of Christ's church, undeserved and through nothing we have done, so that working together all over the world, we can accomplish his purposes to his glory without any reason to boast in ourselves. The gifts themselves, how they are used, and the spiritual results depend solely on the Holy Spirit. As Paul writes again in 1 Corinthians 12, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of surface, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them in all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now if we go down to verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Not our choice to choose the gifts. The Spirit gives them. Paul closes this section with seven examples of the gifts of the Spirit. It is by no means exhaustive, so if you don't think you have been given one of those, don't feel left out. Read 1 Corinthians 12 for another list, and there are still others not mentioned, as the Spirit wills. Just be assured that if we are a member of Christ's body, the Holy Spirit will give us a grace gift, will provide the opportunities to use the gift, and the ability to serve with that gift to God's glory. Maybe at the start of our journey with Christ, the gift might just barely be apparent. But as we mature in our journey and trust in Jesus, so the Holy Spirit will call us to use the grace gift more often and enable us to a greater and greater extent to serve God's purpose for our lives. That is what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If anyone listening today has not yet declared, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world to redeem us and forgive our sins of rebellion, now may be the time. Remember, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this?
Pray for the Holy Spirit to open your eyes and mind to the truth of God's word so that you too can be washed, sanctified, and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let us pray. Father, first we, we lift up those that might be listening or, or that we know, family members, colleagues, who have not yet yes, answered the question from Jesus, do you believe this in the positive? We pray, Father, that the Holy Spirit may open their eyes and their hearts, that they too may turn to Jesus, that they may too may know the joy of living through him and for him. Father, also, we pray for us. Paul encourages us, he urges, he pleads for us to be a living sacrifice, holy and set aside for your pleasure, to serve your purpose. We, Father, we thank you that in your eyes, we are washed, we are justified, we are sanctified, we are set aside for you. Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to come along to fill us that we can live into our true reality. Enable us, Father, to grow day by day closer to you through your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in the name of our Lord and our Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.